Hello, you're listening to recommendations for my attacker spouse or Otafu Susume. I'm Wes. And I'm Jen. So let's get started. So, hey everyone, Jen and Wes here, and welcome to recommendations for my otaku spouse podcast, or Otafu Susume for short. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. Today, we have recommended to each other Seven to Eternity and Black Sad, both Western comics. So, Jen, I recommended Black Sad for you to read. It's, as you just said, a Western comic. It's kind of a hard-boiled detective film noir style with the interesting twist that everyone in it is animals. Not exactly Zootopia style, but... No, what what is interesting is that they have animal heads and they have animal faces and animal characteristics and they get referred to as their animals, but they still have hands and they basically have bodies of humans. Yes. So like their heads are animals, but their bodies are human. Yes. And you'd think that was weird, but it actually works kind of nicely. Yeah. Like the police chief's a German shepherd. Yeah. So it is kind of like, uh, actually, I suppose a good comparison would be My Hero Academia. Because oh, with names being like the characters. Well, not just names, but also you have like the crow character, uh, Kuro, what's his name? Tsukiyomi. Tsukiyomi. Uh, who has like, nowhere near a crow or Kuro, uh, who has the head of a crow. And then you also have like the police chief who again is, has the head of a dog, but then the body of a human. Isk. I guess I'd say more than it's kind of like Mouse, the old Spiegelman comic about the Holocaust. Mm. Just to I bring never this read it. down. <laughs> Yeah, actually, it probably would be more similar to that, because is that French as well? Because this is by two French, uh, a French writer and a French artist. No, no. No? It's by two Spanish people. Oh, okay, I got that completely wrong. <laughs> anyway, um, no, that one was by <laughs> the son of a Jewish immigrant who was American, is American, uh... Art Spiegelman. But it's similar in that they kind of use animal types to set characters, in which the Nazis are all cats, the mm. mice are all Jews... When the Americans show up, they're all dogs, things like that. Yeah. So, but we're getting off subject. Yeah, so we what are getting What did you think of Black Side? <laughs> Black Side was good. Um, so, as Wes said, it was like it's like a film noir style Western comic that has some of the most gorgeous art I have ever seen in a comic. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's entire, well, I want to say it's watercolor, but I'm not too sure if it was done on computer. Like I know they had some insights about the how they did the art and stuff, but I didn't actually read them. <laughs> but it is it's gorgeous, and the anim well, I say the animation because the way they and the faces and the characters are animated, their body language, their facial expressions right, reminds me a lot of what's his name Tom Blue Blue Blue. Oh uh, yeah, the old animator who worked for Disney before going on his own. Yes. Yeah. That one. Don Bluth. Don Bluth. That's his name, yes. So it really reminds you of, of his work. It's, it's actually really energetic, and as you said, it was a faux noir. So the stories are dark, and they're based in the sort of 1920s? No, wait, it's oh, no, after no, the is, war. This is, yeah, this is post-war. This is middle McCarthy. This would be uh, probably late 50s, mid-60s. That's it. Because I'm actually not, because not growing up in America, I'm not familiar with American history in detail, but I know enough to get from, like, to well, they weren't even similarities. They were outright copying themes during that time, such as there's a chapter about communists and communists in America and sort of the social stigma and the explosion and hunting down of communists in America. And there's another chapter all about race, which was interesting because it was about... Because Blackside is a black cat with white fur on his face. And so it was kind of a 
black furred animals versus white furred animals and it was interesting because in the animal kingdom yes. it, it mixes it up because like i said black side has a white on his face and that gets pointed at a couple of times yeah for uh, the americans and the audience again it's um an entire chapter about white nationalism that was it. and the kkk proxy instead of wearing white hoods they're just all white furred yeah so that was that was an interesting like the social commentary was interesting for someone who knows about the social history but doesn't know about it in detail mm. so one of the reasons i also recommended this is something that kind of hit me a bit after I first read through Black Side. And with us both being translators, I found it really interesting. When you were reading it, could you ever tell that this was a translated work? No. Like, I knew it was because I knew it wasn't originally English, but I couldn't tell. Like, when I was reading it, I couldn't tell at all. Yeah. And that just, I mean, it's so perfectly done. Yes. Written by two Spaniards for the French market and then translated to English. That's why I thought it was French. Yeah, it was released in France, but when the names are Diaz Canales and Guardido, sorry, Guarnido, it's it's two Spaniards. Yeah, that that's okay, yeah, that's very clearly Spaniard. I think I think in my mind I remember you telling me it was released in France. I was like, Oh, that means it's a French comic without actually realizing, oh wait, no, it was written by two Spaniards. Sorry. Yeah. So was it originally released in French? Yep. Okay. And then translated to English. But it's just it's so flawlessly done, and as you said, it gets that tone so perfectly for post-war America that they, I mean, it's it's a genius piece of work. I would be really interested to see like an interview with the creators to be like, how did they manage to capture that part of American history so well when they are not American themselves? Mm-hmm. And then release it into a French market. Like, I wonder what the original French language was like and how that reflected American language and mannerisms, almost. Because when you're not writing something... If if you're outside of a culture and you're writing something about a culture like Westerners who write comics about Japan, how do you capture the original? Because I guess because it's a comic, it kind of, I wouldn't say idolizes or fetishizes, but kind of emphasizes points. Yeah. Like it's 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 and a it's film media. noir. It's yeah. media, yeah. I don't know where I was going that. But just like it's really interesting how they kind of took something. I mean, they must have obviously done their research and they definitely worked hard on the stories. The only thing I don't like is I know it's film noir, but just every story just has such a sad ending. Like, I don't like sad endings, <laughs> <laughs> but I really, really enjoyed this. And even though it's like, oh, but really, like, A or B didn't have to happen. And but because it's film noir, it kind of did. Well, it's also uh, just that's how life is sometimes, especially when you look at the situations that you're finding yourself placed in. Mm. Uh, being caught in the middle of McCarthyism wouldn't have been happy for anyone. No. I mean, that's you look at the movie The Majestic, and that's the same situation, just from a different side of it. You haven't seen The Majestic. I've not seen The Majestic. <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, it's, all, it's all about McCarthyism and the communist hunt through Hollywood. And it's just, it wasn't a good situation. When you look at the KKK in the Deep South and the racial strife that was going on, there weren't really happy endings. Mm. And so this, I mean, in this one, it's not the happiest ending, but it's also not, and then everybody died and yeah. from trees. It's not horribly depressing. There is, yeah, sparks of hope, but it is still like, ah, oh, damn, that sucks. Yeah, on some levels. I guess that's also probably a good thing that it was released in France because, I mean, American media is pretty rampant across the world. Like, Americans are very... I can't really say ethnocentric because ethnocentric implies Europeanism. Um, 
but America is very European. Yeah, but America is very America. I don't know. Can ethnocentric be applied to America as well? No, it's just focusing on your own group. Oh, so of course a European thinks ethnocentrism is European. Oh, maybe it's because I'm thinking of like Eurocentric. I'm getting okay. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) because America. I think. I mean, mean, the other flip side of that is that America has so many different parts in our melting pot. Yes. That when you fo- if you want to focus on Americana, which this definitely has a bit of in there, mm. where it's looking at when you have that image of what is America, going to find America, Lazy Writer and all those types of things, you're going to get a glimpse of that in here where it is looking at what is America. So when you look at the episode of like Top Gear, where they grab cars in the deep south and drive them oh, off for yeah. a bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. No, but it's just <laughs> what they show in that is some of what you're going to see in this. because that Yes, is, actually, that's a good point. Because that's some of it in here. But it's not all of america no. it's just one of those images that becomes a very foreign image and so when you talk about americana that's what you're getting but the point i was going to make was that it america is very ethnocentric so i don't think they realize how rampant american media is abroad and it's a kind of soft power that foreign like even i grew up watching american media like friends and american language is very familiar to me i came over here and a lot of the words that i use are not familiar because what was in british media never came over here because not much of outside media, but definitely more now, but in the 90s and the noughties, outside media didn't really come in. So it's interesting that these Spanish people decided to create American theme and then release it in France. And in a way, it kind of showed, shared like American stories, like you said, in the 50s and the 60s about very interesting social commentary that doesn't all, actually doesn't really make it outside of America, definitely not in modern media, even though American media is rampant and people are very familiar with it. Yeah. The French have always had a really interesting comic book scene, Mm, and it's killing me right now because I can't remember the name of it. So I can kind of see why when these guys wanted to tell this story, that's where they're going to release it. Because, as again, it's a location thing, it's what's going to be closest to them, it's where they're going to find the publishers. When you look at other things that were coming out at the time, um, I, I mean, not the time, when you look at other things that have come out of France, it's just, I'm not as surprised that it was released there. I do have, uh, it reminds me of, I met the artist for a comic called um, Into the Woods. So I met an, an artist for a comic called Into the Woods, which is not, not the musical. No, it was called The Woods. It was called The Woods, and he was a Greek comic artist. And I was talking to him at um, the London Comic Expo, I think it was. Um, some kind of comic convention that was not the London Comic Con, because this was actually small and you could actually talk to artists. Um, but he was saying that even though he's from Greece and he was working on this comic, it was never released in Greece. Because in Southern Europe, in Spain, Italy, Greece, like comics are seen to be for kids. So it's very, very hard to release comics out there. So I wonder if that's why these two released in France is because that was the only place they could find the publishers, like you said. Yeah. And I do. It comes down, I think, a lot to just that French culture for comics. Mm. They have always been a large, they've always been one of the hugest um importers of japanese manga mm-hmm. and translating it kid comics adult comics whatever they just make it create it release it and consume, and consume it, it at yeah. a frightening pace so it's just amazing what goes on over in that country and it's nice as well to see something so different from what we used to in the west like i think definitely more modern comics are exploring outwards but even in 2010 DC and Marvel were pretty much the only big names you could get, and it was kind of hard to find anything smaller than that, I feel. Mm. Speaking of, so I suggested... Oh, so 
yeah, I read all of Black Said. I loved it. Yeah, unfortunately, there have only been five volumes released, which in America's release is three. I think three in the first one, and then one in each of the second two. Yeah, so was anyone comic in the other two? Yeah. But they're it's, gorgeous. Yeah, it's Black Said, and then The Silent Hell, and then Amarillo. And they're brilliant. But unfortunately, that's also always been released at the moment. So normally I'd say, so Jen, are you going to keep reading it? But I read it. But you've already finished it. And there's not more of (laughs) it. It was short and sweet. Bittersweet. Bittersweet. Very, very pretty. Actually kind of reminded me of Lucky Daisy, which also never is, takes forever to release. And it's like, actually, no, Lucky Daisy is more 1920s, which is probably why I got confused. Yeah, Lucky Daisy is the bootlegging period. Yeah. Anyway, so... That was um, a European Western comics, and I suggested to you an American comic called Seven to Eternities, which is published by Image, which is one of my favorite publishing com- uh, companies for comics. And so, Wes, what is Seven to Eternity about, and what did you think? So Seven to Eternity is it's a role-playing game gone wrong, honestly. <laughs> it's kind of in this, for anyone who played the game Arcanum, it's very Arcanum-ish. Uh, take the world of steampunk, but then put it remove all the sci-fi and replace it with arcanum which was i guess i said steampunk didn't i you said steampunk did you mean say take the world of shadow run and then mix it with arcanum which was somewhat steampunkish but not really it's you've got people who have magical powers essentially like x-men style but they're called mozax and all of them have different abilities and one of them uses this ability to turn the king into a puppet emperor and essentially take over the world and run it from the shadows. And so the main character's father, uh, the main character is Adam Ositis, and his father was a mosaic, and he couldn't stand against the other one, but wouldn't bow knee either. So he ran off to essentially create, live with his family out in the wilderness where they couldn't be tracked down. And they're immediately, their name was trampled in the mud, and everyone views the Ositis as betrayers. So you've got a world that's taken over by a shadow emperor, by, yeah, a shadow emperor, who can control, and not only control, but see and hear everything. Because if you make a bargain with him, you let him into your mind in a very literal sense, and he will sit there and know everything you do. And he uses that for power. And so our hero, my say that very loosely the guy's a jackass um (laughs) his father dies like immediately so not too many spoilers there and he goes to immediately bend the knee to the mud king uh the shadow puppet or shadow emperor and while there gets swept up in this whole kind of rebellion rebellion in a way where you've got a group of rebel mozaks who have managed to infiltrate the castle steal the mud king and they're going to unhook him from everyone he's got his hooks in and then kill him because the trick is is if you kill him while he's still attached to everyone everyone who has ever heard him what they call heard heard the whispers who have taken up on him up on one of his bargains will die yes so that's like most of the world will just die if they kill him but the reason i say it's like a role-playing group gone wrong is that except for the goblin everyone is playing a chaotic evil character (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but thinks they're lawful good. Uh... So you've got a bunch of people who think, oh, I'm doing the right thing. But except for honestly one of them, they're all a bunch of assholes. And it's not even like, uh, what is it, Flight of the Ketty J, where the first book, they're a bunch of jerks, but they kind of had that heart of gold thing. And, and by the end of the first book, when you start getting into the sequels, you're like, oh, these guys are actually okay. Maybe they're not just a bunch of scum. 
In this one, there is like no redeeming qualities whatsoever. <laughs> they're just immediately turning on each other. They've all decided they know best and they're going to do whatever evil deeds they need to make it done because they're the heroes. So evil deeds are what they do. Well, Except the goblin. I Once guess... again, the goblin is like the only good character <laughs> in the group. And then the main character's daughter because she hasn't done anything evil yet. But I'm just waiting now for the shoe <laughs> drop. So we've got, I, there was also the patchwork girl. Yeah, but she was killed liked, before she could do anything I evil. liked Patchwork. I also don't understand how she died. Because all yeah. of her body parts were still right next to her, so she should have just restitched. I think it's because they were saying that, that because it was brain trauma. Oh, okay. Like, her name's Patchwork because she could patch herself back together from body parts. Yeah, she has a uh, regeneration thing, but she doesn't just regenerate her own flesh. She can take other flesh and use that in replacement. She has this cool bit where someone cuts off her arm, so she rips off their arm and sticks it on. That um, was cool. Yeah. And then the owl's an owl, so... Whether it's evil or not, I can't understand it because it's an owl. <laughs> She's like neutral, like lawful neutral. No, no, I'm not talking no, about like... the one who owns the owl. I'm talking about the owl. Oh, okay. The owl itself the is owl... fine. Oh, the one the who owl. owns the owl is straight up chaotic evil. Maybe neutral evil, but there yeah. is nothing good about her. I suppose the thing is, is that the world is not a happy place. Like the God of Whispers in his... Or the king, mud, the mud king, or the god of whispers, according to people who like actually like him, has turned the world into a really horrible place in order to get power. So yeah, it's but like... her response to say, so she has this vision that oh no, the world's going to go to hell. What do I do? I know I'm going to kill a child, and when that doesn't work, I'm going to kill his brother the same way, and that's her method of preventing the world from going to hell. And she thinks she's good for that. It's kind of like and, and okay, it's not even uh, like Lupa. I was gonna say it's not even like I'm gonna kill a child and do this in a way that's nice. I'm gonna give him a degenerating disease so that he coughs his lungs out over the period of a few years and dies in increasing agony. Okay, yeah. And when his parents bring him to me to heal him because they don't know that I'm the one who's cursed him, I'm gonna close my door and just ignore them. And that's one of our heroes, folks. Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> So the story doesn't end at the end of volume two, which is what I read, which is what's out. Yeah, that's point. all that's out. And Except for the paperbacks that I haven't actually read. I, I imagine it's probably a lot slower and a lot... Because I actually first read this with volumes one and two of the paperbacks. The floppies, yeah. The floppies. And then and then I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I need to wait for all of it to come out. So I imagine when you're reading it every month, it's not as bad. But I guess if you're like reading the whole I think my... thing in one go... Like, I never noticed them being that evil. <laughs> I just really enjoyed the story yeah. and the drama and just how... I think my problem uh, with it, though, is that, as I say, the goblin's the only good character, but he only shows up periodically. Mm. You don't have anyone to root for because you're sitting there reading it and you're going, great, even if they manage to succeed in what they're planning and they get rid of the Mud King, what are they going to replace him with, themselves? Because if they win and replace him with themselves and... Uh, owl lady takes over the world her response is going to be i'm going to go around killing children i don't like (laughs) because they might grow up to be someone bad so we're literally replacing a dude who can see and hear everything and makes deals to try to prevent bad things from happening the villain in our story to voldemort i feel like she is literally voldemort killing children (laughs) because they might grow up to defeat him i've feel like you kind of root for the bad guy a little too much. The Mud King is not a nice person. And I'm not saying him the Mud King's a nice person, but, but you're I'm saying also it's saying better to leave him in power. Then replace him with who? 
I don't know. That's that's the interesting thing. That's why I want to keep reading this is because you don't know what's going to happen. I just... And I want to see what happens with it. I just feel that it would be better if it had given you a little bit more of something to root for. Mm-hmm. Because, so you have your, who's supposed to be your noble family who didn't bow knee, who didn't bend knee to the Mud King, the Osiduses. And you've got the patriarch of the family, Zebediah. And he's set up to be a cool character, you know, standing up strong against the Mud King and his minions. Um, but they kill him off really quick. And you've got the main character who's going to kind of continue on. And as I said before, he's got a degenerative disease because Owl Lady didn't like him either. Oh, so that's what is... What? He's like coughing up blood in chapter one. Yeah, but I didn't know that the old Owl Lady is the one that caused it. Oh, well. <laughs> anyway. Um, so that's in volume two. So it's just he immediately does everything his father told him was probably a bad idea. I mean, if you've been raised in this world, it's literally a hell and falling apart. And your father has consistently told you, hey, everything's falling apart because of this one dude who will get inside your mind and never let you go. Why would your first thing to do be saying, oh, well, might as well go talk to him. Well, he doesn't he doesn't intend to go talk to him. He tends to go and kill him because he knows that he's dying and he's like, well... I'm dying, so I might as well try something and avenge my father and go kill the Mud King. But he slips up because he accidentally hears the Mud King's whispers. Or yeah. the Mud King's offer. I was, so he had good intention. I was also really hoping they would keep the Mud King's offer off page. Because when I heard it, or read it, I guess, it just seemed so cliche. <laughs> I mean, I, and that, that comes down again to I was really hoping that I guess now having read two volumes, I was really hoping that Zebediah would be our hero as opposed mm-hmm. to Adam because they kind of give you this run up where Adam has somewhat accepted his fate. And so he'll do what's necessary to protect his family, but he knows he's going to die. And then all the Mud King asks to say is, what if I cure you? And all of his convictions go out the window. Like, he doesn't have a single conviction left. Well, it's because it's kind of like kind of like human struggle. Like, do I do the greater good or do I take something easy because I'm afraid of death? But he's supposed to be our hero is the problem. And I think the thing, usually with a hero, is they're willing to do things that a regular person wouldn't or accept things that they wouldn't. Which he does do, but he is he also struggles with this thought that he could go home to see his family. I don't know. It's... I... I don't. The thing is, I don't like unhappy stories, but I don't feel feel like this is a, an unhappy story. I feel like it's a struggle, and I feel like they're getting somewhere. They're struggling, but it's hard. And I really like the art, and I feel like it's it's very different to most comics that are out there right now. The art was good. There was one. It must have been like one of the floppies, mid volume two, where it just took a sudden nosedive for about half of it, and then bounced back up. And I was like, well, that was weird and out of place. So that stuck out to me. It was during a flashback for a character, so maybe it was on mm. purpose. Yeah, the world itself and the art and everything I found interesting. Uh, the story itself I find interesting. As I say, though, most of the characters I just dislike at this point. Mm. Being a comic, they're good at leaving you on tender hooks when an issue ends. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I probably will end up reading Volume 3 when it comes out. But I won't like it. Yeah, I'll read it, but I won't like it. It's a comic book. Luckily, it's a short read. Because it, it's just... Yeah, I just... It sounds like you're feeling frustrated. Yeah, frustrated. It's not going to be on... It would have to do some 
really, really magical things to ever get it onto one of my short lists for good comics. Good thing everyone has magical powers. It is a shame, though. I do feel like the pacing is a little rushed at times because it's called Seven to Eternity. And so it's like seven outcasts teaming up together, trying to take this evil king and get rid of him in order to bring peace to the world. But at the end of the first volume, two of them have already out gone. So it's like seven to eternity, and five minutes later, there are five of them. That was yeah, yeah. The, the, there <laughs> the is pace a, is a little. There is a lot of problems with the pacing. I do think that a lot of my issues would have been better resolved if you had taken a little more time at the beginning to have set some of the characters in the world. Um, I also think that there's so much more they could have done to show this struggle, this mental turmoil in their characters. Mm-hmm. Because, as as I was saying earlier, they've got to take the Mud King to a certain place. They've captured him from his castle. They've taken him to a certain place. They talk about how long of a trek this is going to be, how dangerous it's going to be, how there's going to be all sorts of bounty hunters and things after them, and they're already there. Mm, as in volume two. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing really happens there. There's They have all these big setups for what could happen here or could happen there. There's a scene where they kind of uh, roll through a town. And yeah. they, to do so, they uh, disguise themselves a as a circus. And that could have been probably a whole issue in itself. Oh, here's a town. How do we get in? How do we get out? Who do we meet here? Maybe someone tries to spring them free. And instead, it's like two pages and someone glancing askance at the group saying, well, this doesn't seem right. Yeah. And I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that all of a sudden I like got to, I could, when I'm reading, I'm going, how are they a circus all of a sudden? And then a few pages later, I'm like, oh, yeah, wait a minute. The goblin can use weird mind trickery powers to disguise them. But there was just, it just happened kind of in the introduction to an issue. And so there is, I'm feeling some major pacing issues. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I do think that's a shame because you've got something like Saga, which is also published by Image, which is incredibly popular. And it's, well, I wouldn't really say this is this is sci-fi, but it has very sci-fi feels to it. It's like sci-fi fantasy, but Saga is definitely sci-fi, and that has a lot better pacing, and it explains the story slowly while also keep moving so that you're constantly seeing something new and you're constantly discovering new characters. But I still enjoy Seven to Eternity, and it's just so unique that I'm really and I'm that I'm really enjoying the story and the art, and I really want to keep picking it up. But it's not your cup of tea. Or you want it to be your cup of tea. There's a lot of things I like about it, but it's just, it really isn't now. And just like, so we've got the volume in front of us. I'm looking at the cover of volume two. And for instance, so we've got, you know, main characters and main characters. And of course, uh, Adam's got the biggest role in the front because he's the main, main character. And then behind him, you see this one woman. And I'm like, wait, who is that? And then it hit me who it was. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what happens. And when all of a sudden I realized that I'd almost forgotten who this character was, despite the role that she plays and should have played, I'm just like, it again, brings back to the pacing thing. Mm. I don't know. Have you met her yet? In the yes. Thing? Yeah. She's around for about four pages, page, maybe. five pages. But she kind of does a phasma. Yeah, she does. <laughs> she which does is a... not a good thing. <laughs> um, but it's just who she is, especially when you consider the main character's familiar relations mm, yes. would have been a really, really big thing to play on mm. between what's causing him more to help out Garrus the Mud King 
rather than doing his duty and his following familial honor. But they just breeze right over it. Now that I'm talking to you, I'm like, crap, you're right. But I still really enjoy it and I don't want to not like it. It's just, I'm not I, saying you should No, like no, it. no, just... but I agree that the pacing is off. And that's frustrating when okay. you want to enjoy one. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of where I am with Seven to Eternity is that I just feel that there is a lot of promise to it. Mm-hmm. And I will read the next volume, but it's going it, to have to do a lot to really turn my thought around on it. Mm. And I can't really say I'm going to read the next volume of Bad Black Sad because there probably won't be a next volume. Which is depressing. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense considering the art is so gorgeous. That you can tell they have to put a lot of time and work into making every single panel. Because every single panel is so pretty. And while I would love more Black Sad, I don't want them to do it unless they want to do it. Yeah. It needs to be a passion. It's definitely a passion project. Yeah. And what would make it horrible is if they ever felt, oh, we got to turn this out to meet a deadline or something. That would just destroy it. So if they ever get the urge to make more Black Mm -hmm. Sad, I will be first in line to buy it. But... I wonder if Seven to Eternity has that problem. Hitting deadlines or something? Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe just like feeling the rush to tell the story. I don't know. But I, if if you don't like Seven to Eternity, I'm going to suggest to you, probably not necessarily as a podcast or anything, but read Saga. Saga. Yeah, because there are seven volumes out of Saga so far, and they have so much more story to tell. Okay. But all the characters are... Well, no, not all the characters are fantastic. Some of the characters are assholes. But and I'm in fine, a good way. <laughs> I'm fine with bad characters. Not bad, not bad. than like poorly written or poorly background or anything, but just, you know, not mean good. Or, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes very interesting turns. Okay. Speaking of recommendations, mm-hmm. what are you going to recommend me for our next podcast? So, next, I want to recommend to you. Well, I, recommend, I want to recommend a Japanese manga to you. Manga, okay. I want to recommend to you Wataku ni koe o muzukashi or. Love is hard for otaku, which is... They've officially translated They've officially translated to Watakoi, Love is hard for otaku, which will be coming out this year in June or July, I think, in English. Okay. But right now there are five volumes out in Japanese. I would... Actually, no, they just released volume six. So there are six volumes out in Japanese. And you only have five of them? I know, I only have five of them. We need to get the other one. (laughs) It's so good. And I want you to read it so badly... Because it's so good. It's so adorable. But we'll have to tell you, I'll tell, we'll talk about what it's about next week. Okay, so Otakoi for me. Yep. Well, then on the flip side of that. Yep. I suppose, actually I was thinking about recommending you a manga. Yay! And I was trying to narrow it down between two of them. But if you're recommending a romance to me, I will recommend a romance to you. I thought you only read romance. I read other, I read Slice of Life. <laughs> okay. And I read sports anime, but saying that is a bad thing because I'm about to recommend a sports anime that's also a romance. Okay. So, I want you to Can read... I guess? Yes. Is it going to be rough? It's going to be rough. Ah, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that you knew what I was going to recommend means that I've done this before, but now I can make you read it. <laughs> yeah, you've recommended rough to me a couple of times. More than a couple. More than a couple. Especially because you keep telling me it's one of your favorite sports manga it's of all so time. so good. It's so good. Anyone out there who likes um, Adachi Mitsuru and you haven't read Rough, do it. And if you had read Rough, it's amazing. What's their most, what's his probably, most popular? It's uh, Most popular in Japan would be Touch. Most popular over in America would probably be Cross Game. Because that was like the most recent one that came out over as an anime. Mm. And I think it had a big release on Crunchyroll. 
and it got really well reviewed and it was really good. Highly recommend Cross Game to anyone. But I know you've already read Cross Game. Yes, because you made me read that. I made you read that. And you actually read that one. <laughs> I did. Good. But in this case, you're going to read Rough. Okay. It's I'll read amazing. Rough. And you read Watakoi. I'll read Watakoi. Great. Anyway, thanks for joining us here for Oda Fususume. We will be dropping these, I think, every two weeks. I think it might actually be every month now. Every but month. But we'll see. Whatever. We'll Come back this. and join us next time when we talk about Watakoi and Rough. Uh, you can find other shows like this at the AnnaBrosCreative.com website. We are a group of geeks who just like to sit around and talk about things in a very irreverent manner. That is one way of pushing it, yes. It's the political, polite way of putting it. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter at Annie Bros Creative and also on Facebook at Annie Bros. Just Annie Bros? Yeah, uh, Annie Bros Creative. Okay. Uh, you can find links in the show notes to most of these, if not all of them. Uh, we might even start throwing up links to things we talk about. Who knows? Yay! Yay! So you should definitely check out AnnieBraceCreative.com and find more recommendations for my attack spouse, among others, such as Real Japan and Fujoshi Trash Talk, which I host with fellow Fujoshi, Fujoshi Trash. You are Fujoshi Trash. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.